Welcome, Capital Raisers. Johnny Catani was on fire today, getting into the weeds with me on capital raising nuances, launching a fund, discussing some options for how fund managers get paid, and talking shop about attracting money using the podcast platform. Are you guys ready to raise? The Family Office Club is the largest association in the capital raising industry with over 3,000 ultra-wealthy investors globally. The base membership is only 5K, but I can hook it up at 3K. DM me on LinkedIn if you're interested. With that, it's Capital Raiser Show episode 280, and it starts now. Rock and roll. I got Jonathan Catani on the Capital Razor Show, season three, now powered by pitchdex.com. Our friends at Richard Wilson's Family Office Club. Jonathan, welcome to the show, man. How the heck are you? Hey, doing well, Ruben. Thanks for having me. Yeah, very cool, man. This is going to be exciting. I know that you've launched a fund, your Capital Razor, commercial real estate fund manager. So we'll dive into a couple of different topics. But for the audience that doesn't know Jonathan or Johnny, <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your background, man. How'd you get into this space, this commercial real estate syndication space? Yeah, so actually kind of an interesting story. So I was a stockbroker at a discount brokerage. I had my Series 7 and 63 for about three and a half years and worked my way up and was working with our high net worth clients. So where I was, you could have self-directed 401ks and IRAs. So I started helping them fill out paperwork to invest in alternative assets, which on Wall Street, that's what we called it started asking questions and realized that pretty much all the wealthy had real estate in their portfolio. And I was like, all right, well, there's got to be something to this, right? If, if it's very consistent amongst all of them, even back then, this is like probably five, six years ago now, since I've left, they all had it in their portfolio. So I started reading books, listening to podcasts, of course, Rich Dad, Poor Dad came along the Purple Bible, as I'm sure most people can mark as their kind of Genesis moment, tried my hand in the wholesaling thing and the fix and flip thing and just found it to be too tedious. And so I set my sights on commercial real estate. After I tried my hand in the tech startup world here in Salt Lake City, got laid off because of COVID and found a group here out of Salt Lake City that was investing in apartments in Oklahoma City and Columbus, Ohio. And I helped them scale from 70 units to 570 units in about a year's time and was immediately hooked. Site visits, like I was just, this is this is what I want to do. And I identified pretty quickly that they had a need for capital raising, as does the industry. Mm -hmm. And it mixed so well with my kind of superpower, which is people, right? I, I'm networking is just really what I do. And so it just went hand in hand. And I discovered a little mastermind group by a man named Hunter Thompson, Raise Masters. Shout and, out Hunter. Uh, yeah, shout out to Hunter. Discovered Raise Masters, joined the group, and started Katani Capital Group not long after and have been a note to the grindstone since. Cool. So I'm very curious about Hunter's group. I've gone to raisemasters.com and it's just like, hey, login portal, and then there's no information about it. I see his webinars all the time. He's been on the show. It's been a minute since I talked to him. So maybe we can dive into all the things that those guys are doing because I'm going to be his friendly competition starting my own capital raising coaching program here shortly. So I'm really excited about that and very excited to hear about the fund in particular. So I've had a few financial advisors come through Wall Street. There's this book that I have called Storytelling for Financial Advisors that goes into 
high net worth investor profiling that I think is very fascinating. Is there anything from the financial world that translated specifically other than just the networking, which I'm not sure if that's something you guys do or did as financial advisors, but in terms of the selling and the communicating and getting on the phone with people, did that translate into capital raising when you got involved with your group that you helped them scale with? Certainly, there's an aspect that translates. What I'll say is when you're an advisor and you're working with clients, it feels a little bit more like selling in the sense that the money's already there, or maybe they have a little bit there and you're trying to get them to consolidate and then go some sort of managed route. So it's a little bit more of a sell cycle. Whereas in this game, it's so much more education. You really just want to be like, hands off, not pushy. I just want to educate you and teach you about it. And if you decide you want to invest, great. If not, that's fine too. But hopefully you stay on my list. And when the time comes and you feel ready, then hopefully you'll you'll invest in a deal. So I would say a longer sales cycle if we're talking in terms of it being an actual sale, but it feels a lot more like education and then they finally make the decision for themselves. Yeah. So having interviewed 250 plus people, you get some people that are like, I'd never sell. I'd never ask for money. I just educate and nurture. And there's other people that are just like, hey, when I have a deal, I have to pick up the phone and get into sales mode and get this capital across the finish line. I am curious about this because I've heard from different people that come from Wall Street that that world is very much like the wolf on Wall Street, like exactly how it is on the movies, dialing for dollars, aggressive sales, closing, hard tactics. Did you experience that yourself? So I was at a discount brokerage, so it's a little bit different. You didn't have to have millions of dollars just to have an account. You could really start an account with just a few hundred bucks. But in terms of getting to, I mean, net new assets was absolutely a metric that was tracked and certainly was cutthroat, right? It was making sure you were on the phone first, right? That way, if any of the reps got someone on the line, you were first in line to take that call. A lot of follow-up, you could incentivize. So if you brought money over to, to the brokerage, then we could give you, literally give you cash, right? And it would be tiered based on how much you brought. So it was very different. Despite the SEC overseeing both sides, it is fascinating the nuances when it comes to like what you can and can't do versus private placement versus the public sector. So are you still licensed just out of curiosity? No, I'm not, ironically enough. Got into the game after my licenses expired and was like, man, would have been so much easier if I was still licensed. But there's obviously plenty of ways to, to still be successful without being licensed. Yeah, absolutely. You don't need a license to syndicate by any means. It's kind of like the same concept as you don't need a real estate license to wholesale from my perspective, because you right. can just use exemptions from regulation D to capital raise for real estate. I am curious about this though, man, because I had an interview with an attorney and even though this is not an attorney question, I asked her, I'm like, when does it make sense for somebody to go get licensed to be a broker dealer to sell real estate. And she didn't really know other than as a fund manager, if you have a blind pool fund, she said there's certain, I think 40s act that she mentioned where if you have enough deal flow and it's not specified exactly what you're doing and it's kind of blind, hey, we do all these things, then it almost starts to appear like you're using syndication documents to manage people's money for them. And yep. it can be kind of a scary thing. So 
I'm always curious. I've been exploring this concept as like, does it make sense to go get a license so that I can hang it with a broker dealer and then sell real estate to people because there are certain benefits to that. I don't necessarily want to do that, but I'm very curious about this. Have you explored this concept at all? Hanging your license with somebody so you could raise capital and then you would have to be regulated, of course, at a higher level than the regular syndicator. What are your thoughts on this? I haven't explored it too much because I honestly quote Hunter and what he told me, and he's answered this question a bunch because he was licensed, mm-hmm. is it really depends because of the regulations and the cost and really the cost, it really doesn't make sense unless as just a straight capital raiser, you're raising at least $5 million a year, then it could start to make sense. In terms of the syndication side and the fund side, and you get into those blind pool funds, that I'm not as familiar with. Although, like you, I have heard the same response where if you're not careful, you can very much appear that you're a financial advisor when you're just taking in funds and and buying different assets. So I'm probably not the most knowledgeable there, but I'll say if you're just capital raising, from what I've been told, it sounds like the $5 million mark is where it can make sense if that's your goal to just only raise capital and you don't want to deal with anything else, being a fund manager, co-GP, whatever it may be. That's what I've been told. Cool. So I'm a big fan of Hunter. He's got a book called Raising Capital for Real Estate. Tell us a little bit about his program and why would it make sense to go out there? What is it that they are really good at? And I'm curious, what does it cost and When do people come back? Do most people renew with those guys? Yeah, so cost-wise, I'm not sure. I got in in the very first year, so I know it's gone up a couple times. Luckily, I'm grandfathered in. So, But in terms of what the program looks like, so it's really awesome because basically the way Hunter's built his business is he's built it on kind of leveraging technology. So really building a big, robust list of investors without necessarily needing to know them all and shake off their hand personally. So I believe his list is upwards in the 10,000 range or so. And hopefully he's okay with me saying that. Love you, Hunter. (laughs) Basically, what they do is they help you understand how to leverage technology, having really solid automations in your CRM and really great drip campaigns and really keeping new investors in your list or people who are on your list in what they call the honeymoon phase, right? Which we've all heard in in marketing, where really there's always something new for them to sort of click on and a new automation for them to get added to. And if they listen to your podcast, then maybe there's separate automation for that where you're making sure that they see that your podcasts are coming out when they come out. And it's really just how to attract a lot of people? And then what kind of lead magnets? What do you have to attract them? Are you using an ebook or using a video series? And just various things like that. And then we meet twice a month as well. And we'll listen to some expert from Hunter's Network. And then usually it's kind of Q&A and we'll all just have conversations. And I mean, you're talking billions of dollars in total capital raise. Being able to just be a fly on the wall, it's like, holy cow. I've got little notebooks filled with notes from these guys just talking back and forth and little nuances. And love it. So it's really, really awesome opportunity and, and what I've really built the foundation of my business on. I heard that the price of admission is worth it just to access the network. And of course, there's all kinds of people that I know in that program. A lot of my friends are in there. 
we actually did a show, man, probably about 150 shows on all of the capital raising programs, all of the full-blown multifamily syndication programs, all the multifamily conferences. So I love talking publicly about the different places where you can get educated on different aspects or full-blown aspects of syndication. And one of the things that Hunter likes to say that I've heard him, it's even on one of his Instagram posts, is that a lot of people are focused on increasing their sales close ratio from one in 10 to two in 10, when their real focus should be on how do I get in front of 10,000 people? He likes to get in front, get on stages, tap into other people's networks, use platforms like podcasts to expose themselves into the greatest amount of people as possible. And I'm a big subscriber to this philosophy. Correct. How about the sales training? So technology. So some of my mentors, for example, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb, they have a program called Real Estate Accelerator. I've learned a lot about templates, automations, branding, marketing, and those kind of things. The use of active campaign and sending emails out, communication infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. All of that stuff is technology. I think Hunter's got some similar mindset in regards to providing that for his students. What about like on the sales side? Is there anything that he teaches there? Because I know Keely Hubbard is a sales coach and she helps capital raisers too. I don't know if you've heard of her. Great. Give her a shout out. She's in Dallas, Texas. Oh yeah. I've had Keely on my podcast. She's awesome. So one big key that I learned is not putting a call to action right at the start. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people are guilty. And I was too of first or second email. You're like, Hey, schedule a call with me. And instead it's value, 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 value. Then you ask for something. And so that was a big change for me was not to like the fifth or sixth email. Is there even a mention of scheduling a call, you're just kind of putting it down there. It's not the main focus of every of every email. And then eventually get to the part where you kind of give them a fork like, hey, do you want to continue this way or this way? One way is schedule a call. The next way is just another email campaign. And you hit them again and kind of the same thing. And, and really the goal is, of course, we want to close people, right? We want to get them on the phone. We want to make sure they're accredited. All of those things are great. But In reality, if someone's staying on your list, you need to see value in that as opposed to like, I need to get this person on a call as quick as possible. There is value to them still being on your list because the more they stay there, the more automations they go through, the warmer they're eventually going to be. And eventually you're going to get them on the phone. And then when you do, making sure that you structure that call so that you're in control and the call, for me, it's a 20-minute phone call. Hey, Mr. Investor. I've got you for this amount of time. I've got another call after this. So we're going to hard stop at 20 minutes. This is how the call is going to go. Does this work for you? And really keeping that structure. And then when you hit that 20 minutes, like, hey, thank you so much. This was a great phone call. Here's the next step. Boom. And then as far as they know, you're on to the next call. Fascinating. Yeah, I had this author come on and a family office guy, Salvatore Buscemi. He was talking about the capital raise is probably the hardest most intense sales process there is in existence because you're asking people to give a portion of their nest egg. And there's yeah. there's nothing greater than that in terms of sales in the world because people are literally giving you $50,000 or in some <laughs> cases, many millions of dollars just from having a conversation with you. And there's nothing else that even compares to that. I guess, you know, there's some, the sale of a multi-million dollar house might be in that kind of category. Yeah, I guess maybe I don't know. I've never sold luxury homes. But 
Yeah, certainly. And eventually you do have to ask, like that does need to be part of the conversation where as much as you want to educate and nurture, there is eventually a part where you need to hit them with a close. We're like, okay, how much can we expect from you? Or however you want to phrase it, depending on the relationship with the investor. But certainly it's very different than asking for a couple thousand dollars. But here's why it's important to understand an investor's investment thesis and what their portfolio is like. Because if they've never invested in in real estate outside of their house, or they have a stock portfolio, if it's hard for them to part with $10,000 to invest in a mutual fund, then I promise you it's going to be hard for them to invest in $50,000 into a syndication where they might not see any return for two to three years. Like that is a very, very challenging ask. So it's important to understand what their investment portfolio is like. So then you can understand what they're like as an investor. And not all the time, but a lot of times that's going to tell you whether or not they're going to be able to part ways with that 50K minimum or whatever it might be. Good stuff. Okay, cool, man. Well, let's dive into your business model a little bit. You mentioned in the beginning that you helped a company scale. And then what we haven't hit on is the launching of your fund. When did you decide that launching a fund would be a wise idea in the capital raising space? And how did you start to get educated about launching your own fund? Because there's lots of listeners that are considering and contemplating, and maybe should I should start a fund or maybe I should do a, a different fund structure on the next one? Where did you learn about this? Yeah, so learn that from Raise Masters as well. A lot of fund managers in there, which is obviously the nice thing too about it, which I know most groups are like this, but you can really reach out on Slack and, and book a call with pretty much anyone. So when it came to the fund, really what it came down to is I was still in the friends and family phase. I had some plus ones in there, some referrals and whatnot, but really it was figuring out what asset class was going to speak to them to make them want to kind of cross over. I had some first time real estate investors in there, especially passive investors. So really what happened is it came down to finding the short-term rental fund. The director of capital markets is also in Raise Masters. And he reached out to me and was like, hey man, I've got the short-term rental fund this is kind of how it works. At that point, it was about 60 short-term rentals. Now they're up to about 80 plus short-term rentals in, in the portfolio. And it's really a fun to fund model. And they're very friendly. So it was my first fund. And they're very fun friendly in the sense that you get to use all of their infrastructure. So like their lawyers, so you had a discounted PPM for the fund, discounted CPAs, because everything was in volume. All of their, if you direct invested directly with them. They were using those CPAs. And so they offered that to fund managers as well, which made it very easy to make the decision like, okay, this resonates well with my group of investors. And they really lay out a good infrastructure to kind of make a seamless transition and, and make it easy for first time fund managers to, to start a fund. And so I partnered with a couple people in the group, we had a very successful $650,000 raise. And so it's been really awesome since. So the fund is set up for how long can you guys raise for? Is it evergreen? Tell me about that. We had basically a quarter. So we had three months. We started in September of last year and ended right at the end of December, basically. Single asset fund, it was just go out and raise as much as you can. And the way that it works Another really nice thing, and a lot of syndicators are starting to do this, but it was very fun-friendly in the sense that they had shares, like different tiers. 
So we were able to come in at a higher tier, which ultimately gave better return economics through the fund than if you direct invested directly. When you invest, I think the minimum for them was 25,000. You invest 25,000, you get like 8% and then like a 50-50 split with the fund, it's a 9% pref and then 75-25 split. So, and then the fund managers get paid. It's worth it for them to launch the fund because they're making arbitrage. Is that the way that you set it up or is it based on fees that you charge to your investors? How did you guys put that together? Yeah, so there's initial fee, 2% right from the start and then no fees after. So the way that they set it up is they set it up where if the fund managers collectively invest 100,000 between them, then the fund itself gets an extra 5%. In the long run, we end up because we invested as well, which I always will invest alongside my investors. So that was an easy decision. But because of the extra 5% over the life of the deal, we end up making anywhere between like eight to 12%. Okay, cool. Tell me a little bit about this podcast that you have the cash flow chronicles. How's that been working for you? How are you liking it? I love it. So another kind of raise masters thing, like you said, right? A lot of the groups kind of push you to have that platform. That's a big thing for Hunter was the podcast. I absolutely loved it. It's an amazing platform. If you're extroverted or you like to talk to people, it's a no brainer. And me being me, I was like, well, I see you guys doing your weeklies. I'm going to raise you and do a daily. I actually got to talk to Joe Fairless at Best Ever, which was awesome. And he kind of tipped his cap because it it's a lot. I wouldn't advise everyone to go out and start a daily by any means. Like you do not have to. In fact, I would almost advise against it unless you're not married and don't have kids like me because it takes so much time. In terms of flattening my learning curve, obviously growing my network, there's nothing better in that sense, really, because you get to just pick the brain of experts. By this point, I've had billions of dollars in assets under management on my show, much like you have, right? Billions of dollars raised. You just get to learn a little bit from each person every time. And eventually the next thing you know, you're standing in a room full of people who have raised tens of millions of dollars and you can hang right in the conversation because you understand that world. And now that I'm in it, like when I started my fund, I already knew so much because it was like, okay, this is how it's supposed to work. This is the way the returns work. This is why a fund is better than a direct invest. And and I kind of knew the lingo and understood it so that when I sat down in front of investors, it was like, this is my 10th ever capital raise as opposed to my first official solo capital raise. Excellent. So what's the future hold? What kind of assets are you going to be taking down? Is the economy and the economic climate in terms of lending affecting you whatsoever? Yeah, that's a great question. Obviously, multifamily is kind of getting dragged through the mud right now, definitely in a bit of a correctional phase, I think. So we'll always love multifamily. Obviously, it's kind of you know the big sexy in the industry. It's obviously not going anywhere, but certainly it's going through some tumultuous time. We all heard about what happened in Houston. So for me, I'm looking at kind of some more abstract, well, I shouldn't say abstract. Industrial is not that abstract. Looking at some industrial, I think there's still a huge need for that, especially in the long term. For me, as a finance guy, I just look at data. Data makes it easy because numbers never really lie. I say never really lie because you get into pro formas and whatnot, but you look at hard data and it doesn't lie. You just look at what markets are still hot. There's still some great markets, a lot of great markets. So I really like industrial. And then outside of real estate, I really like oil and gas as well. 
um, in the energy sector. Some amazing tax benefits in oil and gas. Oh my gosh. If you have high income W2 earners, like do them a favor and, and show them what benefits there can be in investing in oil and gas. A lot of risk involved, certainly to get those benefits, but as long as everyone understands the risks, it's pretty incredible. Excellent. All right, man, let's dive into the lightning round. My first question to you is what's the best vacation you've ever taken? I'm going to have to say two summers ago, I went and sailed around Greece for a week on Yacht Week. That was absolutely incredible. I've heard amazing things about Greece. Favorite book of any kind? Oh, wow. That is a fantastic question. The first really hard book that I ever read that was like way outside my reading level was Dan Brown, Da Vinci Code. So I might have to go all the way back to Da Vinci Code. Oh, cool. I haven't, I think I've seen the movie, but I haven't got the book. So I'll have to check that out. How much of your success do you attribute to mindset? I would say like 98% of it. And that's one thing I work with, like, because I'm, I'm newer to the industry, I work with a lot of new investors. And that's the first thing I work on with them is mindset. Because like I said earlier, if you can't part ways with $10,000, you're not gonna be able to part ways $50,000. So you really got to understand what is happening and why you're doing what you're doing and what it's going to lead to or else listen i know there's invest people out there who have millions of dollars and they know this is what they should be doing and they just invest and that's great nothing against that but in terms of like mindset it's it's everything how long do you want to live if the world stays pretty much how it is i'd say 80 to 100 is probably good but if we get some technology out there that makes it a little bit easier to be that old then i'll keep going it's funny because the technology in place to allow people to live to 150 exists and nobody's ever lived like more than 125 years old in the history of humankind. But the reverse actually is happening where people's age expectancy is actually decreasing in today's climate because there's so many people consuming a lot of sugar and alcohol and carbs and things that are just absolutely destroying and wreaking havoc on their endocrine system. So, yeah it's, and they do it in the reverse and doing it and then they're in their 50s and they're having health issues and they're like what the heck i don't understand how about this do you have any hacks for breaking through limiting beliefs how do you deal with your limiting beliefs i'm a big huge fan of ray dalio in fact principles was going to be my other one when you asked me about books and so i'm a big meditator in terms for me that's really a big hack meditating and i know this is so mainstream now but i'll tell you what cold plunges have made a major major change. I cold plunge every day for three minutes, somewhere in the 30 degree range. If you can do that, and the reason I like it and why it's a hack, because that ends up being the hardest thing you have to do in the day. And trust me, it's hard. But once you do it, you're like, oh, I can sit down and do X, Y, and Z, or make this phone call that I didn't really want to make because I just sat 34 degree water for three minutes. Fascinating. All right, short answer on this. Best way to raise capital from your perspective. Best way is always be raising. Like, even when you don't have a deal, always be raising capital. How about this? What was your biggest failure and how'd you overcome it? I tried to scale too quickly, like grow my business. And I tried to like, who not how is very much a thing. But in the beginning as an entrepreneur, you definitely need to wear a lot of hats and don't be afraid to. And I tried to bring in VAs and stuff. I still have some for my podcast, but in terms of other parts of my business, I try to bring them in too soon. And so business-wise, that's definitely my biggest failure. And overcoming it is I just had to realize that in the beginning, I am going to have to do more than, than I anticipated, which is totally fine. I just, you can't scale too quickly. So that was my mistake. 
Scaling is a big thing that not enough people talk about. The internal scaling of a syndication company is not an easy thing, especially when you're learning to manage people for the first time in your life and working with partners that you know you have a lot of people's money on the line and you have to be a great steward and somehow manage to relate with each other and scale and go through that entire process. It's pretty crazy. What do you love best about backcountry skiing? I know you're an outdoors guy. Man, I love the freedom. When you're out there, you're not inbound, so you can really go wherever you want. You kind of have the whole quote unquote world as your playground back there and it's quiet and it's an incredible workout. So it really gives me all my favorite parts about the outdoors. Do your spiritual philosophies have anything to do with your success in business? Absolutely. Yeah, 1000%. I'm not religious, but I am spiritual and certainly yes for sure like i believe in energies and we obviously won't get into it but so one thing i think that not enough people do is and ray dalio talks about this is reflection so whenever something goes good or bad it's really good to sit down and reflect and whether you write it down or not but reflect on what you did to lead you to that and whether or not you want to replicate it or like not Great answer. And it's a spiritual answer, believe it or not. Some people are like, that's not spiritual. But for, for me, for sure, it could definitely, the reflection and spending time internally and, and meditating even, all of that stuff is very spiritual. How about this? This is another one that's kind of along the same lines in terms of spirituality. Have you ever experienced a miracle or had a near-death experience? Let's see, near-death, no, not a near-death, like, no. No, I don't have anything that would rank up there, but yes, I've absolutely experienced miracles. All right, last question brought to you by Shannon Amigo, one of our great listeners. She would like to know what impact would you like to leave in the world? Wow, that's an incredible question. And honestly, one that I have been asking myself because that is a big thing to me is, is a legacy. And so for me, it's really about helping as many people as I can. I truly, truly believe that investing especially in real estate can truly lead to freedom for me money equals freedom it's a tool to allow you to do whatever it is you want to do and some people that looks different for everybody so for me my legacy is i just want people to learn and grow how they want to on their time and so however i can help them do that that's my ultimate goal fantastic stuff thanks for entertaining us on that part of the show love the lightning round Shout out to the Capital Razor Nation. Thanks for tuning in. Please leave us a five-star written review. Shout out to my team at Legacy Acquisitions and our sponsors, Syndication Pro and PitchDex.com. Johnny, how does the audience get a hold of you, my friend? Two best ways are going to be, you can go to investwithkatani.com. That will put you on my list. And then the other way is honestly, social media, Instagram. You can follow me at Johnny Katani, Johnny with no H. Check out and leave a five-star review for Cashflow Chronicles, guys. Really excited talking with you. How about one last question, though? Do you have any parting words of wisdom for the aspiring capital raiser or syndicator as they scale on their journey? Absolutely. Keep pushing. And we're going through it right now. But I'll tell you what, if you're just getting into the business or you're only a couple years into it, I'm going to give you a silver lining. You're going to learn how to do this business the hard way, which means when it gets, quote unquote, easy, you're going to be a rocket ship. So be grateful that it's a challenge right now. And if you can push through this challenging time, good things are coming. Phenomenal advice. I really appreciate that. All right, cool, man. Just really fantastic getting to know you, Johnny. I look forward to hanging out with you some more. I'm going to be at Rays Fest next year. So I don't know if you're going to be there, but for anybody that's out there, I'll definitely check you guys out there in Hunter's Network. 
with that, we're going to sign off, man. Thanks again for coming on the show, brother. Thanks so much for having me.